Titus 1 and verse 5. Titus 1 and verse 5. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should send in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Let's join our hearts together in a word of prayer as we come to this very important text in the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you that your word truly is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And that's why man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth, knowing that all scripture is given by inspiration of you and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And so we pray that as the word is preached by me now, that everyone here would give careful attention, would take heed to what they hear. And by taking heed, they would think deeply about the truth contained in this passage of Scripture. Help me explain what this text, this text means and how it applies in the life of this church and our life as individuals. Help us now in this time, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have seen so far in this book of Titus that I'm preaching through the reality of the human author being Paul as a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul, as he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he's moved by the Holy Spirit, what he says as an apostle of Jesus Christ is what Jesus says to his beloved churches. We see that Paul was preaching the faith of God's elect that we might acknowledge the truth and that truth that accords with godliness. This hope of eternal life, God promised who cannot lie before time began and has manifested that word now through preaching. And that was given to Paul, as he tells us here, by the commandment of God our Savior. Then the one he's writing to was his representative, his faithful co-labor in the gospel, Titus who was a Gentile convert to the Lord Jesus Christ, who served along with the Apostle Paul for Christ's glory and the good of his beloved churches. One thing I just want to point out in that context is whenever someone was seeking to serve Christ, according to the New Testament, it was always in the context of aiding and helping local churches. So serving Christ was by helping his churches because Jesus' plan for the building up of his people was the church. It was through the church that saints would be gathered, built up, and encouraged. So if you had a man that actually loved Jesus, he was doing, he was fulfilling or showing forth his love for Jesus by helping equip saints in local churches. Very, very important. So that's what Titus was to do. Titus wasn't doing his own thing. He was helping churches, as we will see. And then we see that he was a true son in our common faith, and Paul wanted him to know just like we all need to know and experience more and more, even as the children of God, grace, mercy, and peace that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. This morning, though, we will see 
that one of the key things that Paul wanted Titus to do was help establish maybe, arguably, the most important thing for a church. You could argue that this, there, this is the most important thing for the health and well-being of a church. Someone maybe could argue that there's something more important, but it's, it, would be more, it would be difficult to argue that there's something more important for the well-being and health of the church than what Titus was commanded to do in verse 5 in the island of Crete. And that was to help the churches appoint elders. That was for him to be involved with the important task of having elders appointed for those churches for their spiritual growth in grace. Their spiritual growth in grace. And so the main point of this sermon is, Paul left Titus on the island of Crete to help the churches in appointing elders. Paul left Titus on the island of Crete to help the churches in appointing elders. And so my first point, Paul left Titus on the island of of Crete. Paul left Titus on the island of Crete. Second point, Titus was to help the churches or help the church in appointing elders or help the churches in appointing elders. So we saw last Lord's Day that who Titus was. And now we see in verse five, Paul says, for this reason, Paul by the Holy Spirit, for this reason, I left you in Crete. And so Titus is a man who is of the same convictions of the Apostle Paul, a man who was a faithful minister alongside the Apostle Paul, and one who Paul knew would seek the same type of goals and desires as he would. And so therefore he left him in Crete. He left him on this island that he would serve as a representative of Paul, sent out by Paul, so that these churches would be built up. Again, Paul was leaving him there for the good and well-being of the church. The good and well-being of the church. He was left there so that these churches that we will see are, were lacking something might be built up. And so we see that he left him on the island of Crete as Paul, Paul did, left Titus his fellow laborer to appoint elders, as we'll see, to set in order the things that are lacking. And so he left him on the island of Crete. Not going to spend much time on that point, but just to, to really just make that point, that he left him on the island of Crete to serve and aid these local churches. Now I'll spend most of my time, I get most, a lot of my time, thinking about what he left him there to do. And that's my second point. Titus was to help the churches in appointing elders. <clears throat> so again, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you. Let me just make this point again. I, I started to say it earlier, but let me make it again. With the light that God has given me now, light from his word, I can't think of a more important thing for the health and well-being of a church than having good and godly elders. You might say, well, what not the gospel more important? Well, if you don't have good and godly elders who can preach the gospel, then you're not going to have the gospel in that church. And so if you don't have elders who know the gospel, love the gospel, and can preach the gospel faithfully to God's people, then you won't have the gospel in that church if you don't have elders who love it and preach it. And therefore, to preserve the gospel, you must have faithful and good 
elders in that church. And so therefore, by saying that elders are the maybe the most important thing for the church, you are saying the gospel because good elders love Jesus Christ and want his gospel to be spread and preserved from this generation to next to next to next, all the way, if God would have it, till Christ returns. And so having good elders is central to the preservation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in that local church. And this is why Paul, by the Holy Spirit, told Timothy that he was to, the things that he had heard from Paul, he was to commit those things to faithful men who would be able to teach others also. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. That he was to take the apostolic doctrine that he had learned and he was to give that to men that he saw that were faithful, that were godly men, committed to them so that other churches would have faithful men who could teach them also. Or that church itself could have other faithful men who could teach that congregation also. And so this is utterly crucial that a church has good and godly elders. It's so important for the good of the church. And we see that one of the key things that was lacking in these churches, what seems to be implied is there were churches on the island of Crete, but they were lacking one of the most important things for their well-being, elders. Which is an interesting point. It seems to be implied that you could have a church with no elders. But it's not good for a church to have no elders. There's something lacking. So you could have a church, but if they don't have elders, there's something greatly lacking in that congregation. There's something greatly lacking if there are no shepherds in that congregation. So he was left in Crete to set in order the things that were lacking. And the key thing that he was to set in order was that these churches on the island of Crete would have elders to serve them as a local church. So again, you can be a church without elders, but you can't really be a good, thriving, healthy church without elders. At least one. And I'll, I'll try to show you that the ideal is multiple. The ideal is multiple elders. And so we see the, the purpose of elders in a church. We could summarize that they have three main functions. Sometimes we think elders are to do everything under the sun. But elders really only have three tasks, according to the word of God. Prayer, ministry of the word, and shepherding God's flock. And there can be a lot of things under those umbrellas, but those are the three main umbrellas of why Christ wants elders in his church. So that they would give themselves to prayer, both publicly and privately, for the good and well-being of the church. That they would give themselves to ministering God's word, both publicly and privately, through discipleship, through evangelism, and through public preaching. And that they would shepherd God's flock by making sure people are good and, and checking up on people and taking phone calls in our context and these type of things to make sure God's people are well encouraged and edified. And not only are they preached to, but also shepherded by the elders, by the elders. I've been using the word elders a lot because that's what verse 5 says. But I want to try to prove to you that the, the title pastor bishop and elder are slightly different nuances, but they're the same office. So it's not, we don't believe that you have a bishop and then you have the pastors and then you have the elders and then you have the deacons. We don't believe that. I think the New Testament clearly teaches that if you are a pastor, you are a bishop or an overseer. It could be translated that way as well. If you are a pastor, you are an overseer or a bishop. If you are a pastor or an overseer or a bishop, you are an elder. You're all three at one time. 
Let me show you some texts that prove this. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. As we think about the nature of this office of elder. Acts 20 and verse 17. Acts 20 and verse 17. It says there, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. One thing I want to point out right here, it's interesting. Multiple elders, one church. He didn't say call for the elder of the church, even though in God's providence, sometimes there is only one elder of a church. But we see here the ideal is that there will be multiple elders in one church. He says, From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus to call for the elders, plural, of the church, singular. The elders of the church, singular. And then Paul talks about the ministry that he had among them. But then if you look down at verse 28, he gives the elders of the church of Ephesus counsel. He says in verse 28, Therefore, take heed to yourselves. Those who he's telling to take heed to themselves are the elders of the church. Take heed to yourselves and all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or bishops to shepherd or pastor the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And so we see in this text that these are the elders of the church of Ephesus, who the Holy Spirit has made overseers or bishops, and they are to shepherd or pastor the church of God, which was purchased with his own blood and so we see here the reality that if you are an elder the holy spirit has made you an overseer or a bishop and the the role sometimes we use pastor as as the word we use but pastor is somewhat more of a noun or an an adjective i guess a description of a task you're doing you are to pastor you are to pastor or shepherd the church of god and so elder is more the office Pastor is more what you're doing. You're pastoring people. You're shepherding people as an overseer, seeking to oversee the flock of God, seeking to watch out for their souls as you are overseeing them. And this is very important because there are people in our day who, who want to say that these are different offices. But we see here in this text that the, this is the same office. It's slightly different nuances, but it's the same reality of the same office. Elder gets to the reality there has to be spiritual maturity within the person. Spiritual maturity. Overseer or bishop that the person is to oversee the flock and making sure they are taken care of. And pastoring or shepherding that they are caring for people's souls. But it's the same office. It's the same office that God has appointed. And then if you look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Starting in verse 1. 1 Peter Chapter 5, towards the right, towards the end of the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 5, almost at the book of the Revelation. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. If you went to 2 Peter or 1 John, you just went a little bit too far. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, The elders who are among you, I exhort. Let me just make this point again. We see again, he's talking to this church. The elders who are among you, I exhort. But we see multiple elders. And then we see, it goes on, I whom a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed 
Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so we see here again, he says, he's Peter by the Holy Spirit speaking to the elders who, and Peter describes himself as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also one who's a partaker, the glory that will be revealed. And then what did he tell these elders? Shepherd or pastor, the flock of God, which is among you. So he tells the elders to pastor because the elders are pastors. And then he says, you are to serve as overseers, as bishops. And so we see he puts these these titles together. You are elders. You are to shepherd the flock of God because you are to pastor them because you are to serve as overseers. And so we see these realities. And so it it can be said the, the main task of the elders, the main task of elders in a church is to shepherd the flock of God, which does mean to feed them the word of God. It does mean to preach and teach the word of God, but it means more than that because they are to shepherd the flock of God. They are to oversee the congregation. And then it gives them reasons, not by compulsion. This is very important because sometimes what can happen is a church needs elders. Maybe there's no elders or one elder. And what can happen if a church is not careful? It doesn't mean that a church can't encourage someone to be an elder. But what can happen is the church just feels they so need elders that they push people who have no real desire to be elders into that office. But we we see first qualification here. Those who are to shepherd the flock of God, those who are service overseers, they're not to serve and be shepherding and to be elders under compulsion, but they're to do it willingly. Everyone who serves as an elder must want to be an elder. This is actually the first qualification to be an elder. This is a faithful saying. If any man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. So the first qualification of being a bishop or a pastor or an elder or an overseer is you must desire to do it. Not by compulsion, but willingly. And then we see, not for a dishonest gain, but eagerly. We know that the New Testament teaches that elders are to be supported. Even double honor are to be given to the elders. But they're not to serve for the sake of dishonest gain. They're not to be lovers of money. They're not to do it for money's sake, but for Christ's sake. So they're doing it not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain. Not for the sake of money, but they're doing it eagerly because they love Christ and they love his people. These are why elders are to serve. They're not to be lords over those entrusted them, meaning they are not to bind the conscience of God's people where God hasn't, but they are just to simply minister the word of God and bring application so that God's word is the Lord of their conscience, not the elders in themselves. And then they are to not be, or then it goes on to say, again, not being lords over those entrusted, but the way they are to influence God's people. One of the key ways that elders are to influence God's people in the church is by being godly examples to them, by the way they act and speak and interact with God's people. And they are to set a model of imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is what elders, pastors, overseers, bishops are to do. And then we see the wonderful thing. There's a text in the word of God that says, not many of you should become teachers, which means not many should become elders because we'll be held to a stricter judgment. But here we see it put positively. 
That when the chief shepherd or the senior pastor appears, when the one who is above all the pastors, because an elder is just an under-shepherd, the senior pastor, the chief shepherd, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he appears in glory, every single faithful shepherd, every single faithful elder, every single faithful bishop or overseer will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Which seems to me that a man who serves faithfully as a minister of Christ, as an elder, as a shepherd, as an overseer, and he serves faithfully, he can expect to be greatly rewarded and receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so it's a motivation for the elders, the shepherds, the overseers, to not do it under compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, not being lords over those entrusted to them but being examples to them. And it doesn't mean they're not to seek reward. They're just not to seek the reward that men can ultimately give, but they're to seek the reward that comes from the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see here, what I'm trying to convince you from Acts 20 and 1 Peter 5, primarily what I'm trying to convince you is this. In the New Testament, if you are an elder, you are a pastor. If you are a pastor, you are a bishop. If you are a bishop, you are a pastor and an elder. This is what the New Testament teaches. So there's, there's no such thing, according to the New Testament, that someone can be described rightly as pastor and not at the self-same time be an elder of that local church. That category does not exist. If you are an elder of that church, you're a pastor. If you're a pastor of that church, you are an elder. If you are a bishop of that church, you are an elder and a pastor. We don't use the term bishop as often, but it actually wouldn't be improper to call an elder or a pastor of a church a bishop if we understand what we mean by that. Sadly, that word has been used so wrongly that people think it's some person over top of a church who's not actually the pastor of that church. But rightly understanding the word bishop, all that means is someone who's overseeing that particular flock. That particular flock. And so we see from these texts, Acts 20 and 1 Peter 5, these things. And let me just ask you this question. Is it important if you're a member of a church for you to be shepherded? Is it important for you to be oversaw, for you to have an overseer watching out for your soul? Is it important for you to have godly examples in the flock? To ask the question is to answer it. Of course, for anyone who loves Jesus and loves his people, they know how important these things are. Because we are not to live as Lone Ranger Christians doing our own thing. But we are to live as those who are in the body of Christ being shepherded by elders for the good of our never dying souls. And so this is, this is very, very important. I've been listening to a, a series that has been super encouraging for me. It's, it's by, um, he used to pastor, but his name's Albert Martin. And he was preaching a series on basically the centrality of the church and the life of the Christian. He's been saying that our church, the church that he used to pastor, their desire was to have a Christ-centered, church-based Christian life. And it's been very edifying to hear the centrality of the church and God's redemptive plans, that the church is what God has appointed for us to be shepherded, for us to grow, for us to to evangelize and, and seek the good of others. It's through the church that God does this. Now let me turn you to Hebrews 13, if you turn with me there. Hebrews is just a little bit before 1 Peter, Hebrews 13, we see there as well 
what these, these elders or these pastors, here there's, they're described as those who rule over you. We see the importance of them here in their function. Hebrews 13 and verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And so we see here, in particular, those who have the rule over you, those who are the the elders, the overseers, the pastors. One thing that he describes, he describes first, Remember them because they've spoken to you the word of God. One of the key responsibilities of rulers or elders or pastors in Christ's church is to speak to God's people the word of God. That's why you cannot be an elder unless you are able to teach. Unless you're able to teach. Because one of the key functions of the rulers, of the elders, is to speak to God's people the word of God. And then we see, he says, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. So here he focuses on the elders have spoken to you the word of God and the elders have a faith that you can follow. A faith that you can follow. They have spoken to you God's truth and they have lived before you a faith that you can imitate and follow as you consider the outcome of their conduct. And then if you look at verse 17, we see more about the rulers or the elders of the church. It says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give accounts. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So these rulers are to watch out for the souls of God's people. They are to be those who know they're going to give an account. So they are tasked with shepherding the souls of God's people. And God's people are to obey them and submit to them in the Lord. And the purpose so that they might watch for their souls with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. It would be unprofitable for you. There have been Sometimes people ask me about this church that I'm an elder of, the church I pastor. And I love to tell them that I have a wonderful church to pastor. And they allow me to do it with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for them. I love quoting this verse when I describe Triune Grace because it's, it's sincere. This church is wonderful to shepherd because people want to obey the word. They want to hear. They want to learn. They're loving. They're kind. They're gracious. This is a church that I can do this with joy and not with grief because that would not just only be unprofitable for me. That would be unprofitable for you. That's what the text says. And I'm very thankful that in this congregation, I can truly say that you guys allow me because you are desirous to obey and heed the word that I can do it with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. And so we see here the reality of what these elders are to do. They are to be an example, their faith follow, they are to speak the word of God and they are to be those who watch out for your souls. They are to be those who watch out for your souls. If you go back with me, though, to Titus, if you go back to the book of Titus, we also see there, we also see there that the office of elder and the office of bishop are the same office. The office of elder and the office of bishop are the same office. Let me show you that in Titus 1 verse 5, if you look back there, it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I command you. Then verse 7, still talking about 
Titus appointing elders or helping the churches appoint elders. He says, for a, depending on what translation you have, the New King James Version says, for a bishop. Some would say for an overseer, but it's the same thing. For a bishop must be blameless. And then he goes on. And so we see here, he says that Titus is to help these churches appoint elders. And then when he's describing what an elder must be, he then switches and uses another word for a bishop must be blameless. Showing that the elders that Titus is to help the churches appoint, those elders are also bishops in the church. They are also overseers in the church of Jesus Christ. For many of you, this is preaching to the choir. But it's so important that we understand these things. It's so important that we know in the word of God why we believe that elders and bishops and pastors are the same office. It's so important that we are not just, we do it because that's just what we we think is best, but we know from scripture why we actually believe that. Why we actually believe that. And so elders, pastors, and bishops are the same office with slightly different realities to them with the sense of the word. We see here, though, the interesting thing is that, again, that there's something lacking when there are no elders in a church. He is ascending over the things that are lacking. I would also say this. There's, it's, there's something lacking greater if there are no elders in a church. So if you have zero elders, you have a flock, but zero elders, something is lacking. There's a church that I know of. It's in North Carolina. And they constitute as a church. And they right now have no elders. They're looking for elders. They have a church kind of helping them and kind of overseeing that process. But they have no elders. So, but they are a church. They just don't have any elders right now. They're looking for elders. They want elders. But they don't have any elders. So there's something greatly lacking in that church. Because they don't have any elders. But I would also say that it's much better to have one elder than to have no elders. But there's also something I believe lacking in a church, not to the same degree if there's no elders, but there is something lacking in a church if there's only one elder. If God's model is the elders of the church, singular of Ephesus, there is something lacking in a church that doesn't have multiple elders. Doesn't mean that that church is not a true church. No, just like it's not, doesn't mean a church is not a true church if they have no elders. But there is something lacking if God's ideal is there would be more than one elder of a church, there is something lacking when a church doesn't have multiple elders. So let me just put it as bluntly as I can. There is something lacking in trying grace because there's only one elder. That's not God's ideal. That's not God. God's ideal is there will be multiple elders in one singular church for the well-being of God's people. But with saying that, it would be better to have no elders or one elder than to put someone in under compulsion or to put someone in who's not yet ready to be an elder. So with all that being said, it's, it's actually better in the grand scheme of things to have one elder or no elders than to have three, four, five elders and all of them are not really ready to be or not desires to actually be elders. Does that make sense? So it's, it's better to have one or zero than to thrust people in who are not ready. There are men in our midst who I've tried to encourage about being an elder with me. 
but they don't want to be. <laughs> and that's okay. And I'm not going to bring them in under compulsion because then I would be sinning against the word of God. And it would make things worse if I say, it would be really good for you being an elder. Just do it because I told you to. That would be not good. Because they have to desire to do it if they're actually going to qualify. Because they are, not to, they are to shepherd the flock of God, which is among them, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. That doesn't mean a man can't be encouraged because some men are very self-reflective and they just never, in their own examining themselves, they would never think they would be good enough to be an elder. And sometimes those men need a loving push to be, no, brother, you would. But if they still don't have that desire at that time, it would be wrong to force them to do it under compulsion. But we see the importance of, of the elders, the importance of the elders. And, and ordinarily, ordinarily, a church doesn't grow, doesn't surpass, doesn't flourish like they could if they don't have good elders in that church. Because sheep normally follow their shepherds. They normally follow their pastors. And therefore, this is again why it's so crucial that a church that's going to bring in another elder or bring in an elder or add another elder to their eldership must choose men who are qualified. And that's why the next three verses, or six, seven, eight, and nine, the next four verses, are all about what a man must be to qualify to be an elder in Christ's church. But elders are so crucial to the life and well-being of the church. In George Whitfield's day, when George Whitfield was faithfully preaching the, the gospel far and wide in the open air, many, many, many people, only eternity will know, we'll only find out probably in eternity how many people were saved by his evangelistic ministry bringing the gospel of Christ. But one of the things Whitfield spoke against, which got people very upset with him, was the dangers of an unconverted ministry. The dangers of men who are elders in the church but are not Christians, are not converted. And he was preaching against this reality of how the ministers themselves must be born again because he saw by and large that these churches were dead because the men who preached them were dead in sin. And that can be a real danger if you... If you have that, or if you have men that maybe are very godly and very loving to God's people, but they are not ready to be elders, that can bring great, that can bring harm, not the same type of harm if you have unconverted men, but it won't build the church up like it could if they are not ready to be elders. And so this is very important that elders are appointed that are ready and desirous and meet the qualifications of being an elder. The question then comes, how are elders to be appointed? How are elders to be appointed? Here we just see Titus is told to appoint elders, but does that, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, we do see an example of another office being appointed, and so we see something there. Let me show you in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We at least get an idea of the appointment of an office in the church. I take this to be the appointment of the deacons, the first appointment of the deacons. So let's just see how that was done. Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. It says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists 
because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Proncuus, Nicocar, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So we see here, in this office, as I'm taking to be deacons, the reality is, and even if they weren't, it's, it's, it's similar to that reality so that the elders can give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, particularly here, the apostles. We see here that he, he asks all the disciples, he asks the multitude of disciples they came, and he tells them, he says, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. And then he gives, so they, they must be men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And then we see that the saying pleased the whole multitude and the multitude set them before the apostles. And so we see that the church was involved with identifying and appointing these men. They were involved with the apostles in the appointment of these seven men. The apostles didn't just say, we're going to pick the seven men. Here they are for you. The whole multitude was pleased and they chose. They being the whole multitude chose. And then the seven men are spoken of. Making sure it was seven. Yes, seven. The seven men were, were chosen. So we see there the reality of these seven men being appointed. So we see for the deacons that they were appointed. But if you turn with me to Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14, as it relates to elders, Acts chapter 14 and verse 21. Acts 14 and verse 21. It says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The interesting thing is that word appointed is the word that we get to vote. The common vote. They had stretched out the hand is also the reality of that. So it seems to be implied from the underlying Greek the reality that there was an involvement not just with the apostles, but with the church in appointing their elders. And our, our own confession of faith, as it's seeking to, to think, what does the Bible say about this subject? What does the Bible say about how elders are to be appointed? Well, first it says this. It says, before I go into that section, it says, this is chapter 26, paragraph 8. This is on the church. Quote, A particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members. 
and the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church, so called and gathered, for the peculiar administration of ordinances and execution of power or duty, which he entrusts them with or calls them to, to be continued to the end of the world, are bishops or elders and deacons, end quote. So we see there that a church is made up of the officers and members. Those, those officers are bishops or elders and deacons. And then they say this, paragraph 9, quote, The way appointed by Christ for the calling of any person fitted and gifted by the Holy Spirit under the office of bishop or elder in a church is that he being chosen thereunto by the common vote of the church itself and solemnly set apart by fasting and prayer with laying on of hands of the eldership of the church, if there be any before constituted therein, and of a deacon, that he be chosen by the like voting, and set apart by prayer and the like laying on of hands. End quote. And so we see there that as our confession of faith, which is not inspired, but a, a faithful summary of what the scriptures teach, we see there that the two offices that are continuing in the church are elders or bishops and deacons, and elders and deacons are appointed by the church, by Christ, through the common vote of God's people. Through the common vote of God's people. Because this is the person who will be the elder, who the church is agreeing with the the eldership, if there is one already established, that they are agreeing together that this person is a gift from Christ, Ephesians 4, that Christ ascended and gave gifts to men, one of those being pastor-teachers, And they agree that this person is a gift to them, and therefore they agree together that this person should be an elder, pastor, or bishop in this congregation. And so that is the process that I believe the scriptures teach for for those things. When we have more information in Acts 6, we get very little information about Acts 14, but we see some because of the underlying Greek behind it of a point, but we see the reality that the church was involved in this process. So I don't believe it was just Titus going around and just thrusting men upon churches and saying, here's your pastor, receive him, no matter what you think. I think there was a common agreement within the church that Titus thought this man was qualified and the church. And the church also believed this person was qualified. Because what can happen as well, if you have godly men in the eldership, it will take care of this. But what can happen is elders just want someone, and they thrust them upon the church when the church is in agreement. So having the church involved is actually a safeguard so that the men who serve as pastors, everybody in the church, at least the vast majority are agree that this person should be a pastor or an elder or a bishop in this church. And so that's, I think, what should happen if a person is going to be appointed. And this is also why The whole church has to know what the qualifications are. The whole church has to know what God wants for a pastor. And so we see that Titus was to help these local churches, was to help these local churches in the island of Crete appoint elders. And you might be thinking again, or you might be thinking, well, I don't have a desire to be an elder. I never will be an elder. I never want to be an elder. How does this apply to me? Well, one key way this applies to you is if you are a member of a church of the Lord Jesus Christ seeking to faithfully apply biblical principles of appointing elders, 
you are going to be involved in appointing elders in the church that you are a member of. You are going to be involved with with saying, yes, I believe this man should be an elder in this church. And therefore, it's important for you to know how important that is, how weighty that is, how serious that is, so that you make an informed decision, if anyone would ever come up and try in grace to be an elder, another elder of this church, that you would make an informed decision of that person being called and qualified and gifted to be an elder in this church. Because here we do not take it as infallible truth if someone came up to me today or someone came off the street and said i got a vision last night that i was to be an elder at trying grace reform baptist church i had a dream last night or god told me and sometimes when people talk about their call to the pastoral ministry they will talk about things like god told me i got a dream i got this thing this is how people if they're not well taught this is how they talk about how they can be called to the pastoral ministry because it a lot of times it sounds better than just saying i desire to do it i thought i had the ability to do it and the church Said I did too. That doesn't sound too glamorous. So sometimes people want to hype it up. Because if someone asks me, why did I want to be a pastor? I would basically tell them this. During my freshman year of college, I was growing. I began to have a great desire to shepherd, to preach, to teach. I got opportunities to do it. I enjoyed it. I felt I had the ability to do it. And other people within the church thought I did too. And therefore I became a pastor. It doesn't sound too glamorous, but that's my call to the pastoral ministry. And I think that's biblical. You need an internal desire and you have a desire. And God's people must agree that your desire is not just out of left field and you have no gifts or graces to do it. But, but we see this reality, back to the point I was getting at, if someone came to, to me and said, Sam, I had a vision that I, I should be a pastor here, I would say, what is that to me? What is that to me? We'll see if you should, not by visions or you subjectively thinking God told you, but do you align with what the scripture says? Because the most important thing is not what you subjectively think, but what does God's people think? And what do the current elders think about your gifts and graces to serve as a pastor? Sometimes people get pressed into a corner if someone ever tells them, God told me I should do this, because they think, who's a who's trump God? But we know that the word of God is a standard, not someone's thinking about what they want to do. And so it's the word that is the judge. It's the word that is the standard. And this is why you have to know as well that no matter how, someone, how much someone feels in their heart that they should be an elder, if they don't meet, and again, no one, or just to make clear, no one's going to perfectly meet the standard in the sense of no one's going to be sinless. But someone who doesn't have the basic requirements given to us in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, Titus 1, 1, uh, Titus 1, 5 to 9, or 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. That person, no matter how much they want to be an elder, at least at that point, should not serve as an elder. It's so important that the church knows what a man must be to be an elder. And let me just say this as well. I've been saying in passing, but let me just make it crystal clear. The word of God, because it's a debate in our culture, I don't think it's a debate among the membership of this church, but I know it isn't, actually, but that only men can serve as elders. So only men can serve as elders. If a man is blameless, verse 6, if a man is blameless, only men can serve as elders. But not all, not all men can serve as elders. Only qualified men can serve as elders. And so that's important as well. There's a debate in our culture about that reality. But the scriptures are crystal clear about that. And so we see this is 
This is, what, this is why it's so important for all of God's people to know what an elder is, the importance of elders, and why we need elders in the church. Because if you want to be growing in grace, one of the key ways that is going to be happening is by having a man preach to you the word of God, shepherd your soul, and give himself to prayer for you. And so this is crucial. This is crucial for you. And this is crucial for the health and well-being of this local congregation. That only those who are qualified men should be appointed in this church for that office. It's so important that we believe that, know that, understand that, so that men who are gifted by Christ to the church are appointed for our good and for Christ's glory. But if you're here and you're an unbeliever, what a great privilege you have if you come here weekly or whenever you come or whenever someone comes to have the word of God open up by someone who by Christ has been given to the church, someone who's been appointed by the church to open up God's word that you might believe. You've been given the word of God in the preaching because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you are without Christ, this very moment you stand under God's wrath because of lying or stealing or lusting or greed or gossip or slander or coveting or blasphemy or Sabbath breaking or idolatry. You stand before God guilty in your sin and there is no hope of salvation without Christ. But elders are to preach and teach consistently that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so that any sinner, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, if they repent of their sin and they put their trust in Jesus Christ, they would never perish but have everlasting life. You can have the gift of everlasting life today if you turn from trusting in yourself to trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ who alone can save you from your sin. And this is what elders are to do. They are to shepherd the flock and they are to bring the gospel to lost sinners that they might hear and by hearing believe upon Jesus Christ. Because how will people be saved without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they be sent? And the sent is by the blessing of the church. And so we see those realities that you must believe in Jesus and Jesus has proclaimed to you this morning through the preaching of his word. Also as well, I should say this as it brings application to God's people. A main focus of the ministry of the elders, even for God's people, is preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. The main, the key, a key point is that we are shepherded by understanding the deep, deep love of Jesus for us as his people to lay down his life for us, to be risen from the dead so that we might have everlasting life through faith in him. And therefore, we need the gospel of Christ. And therefore, elders in their preaching and ministry of the word must be preaching and teaching and explaining what it means that we have broken God's commandments, but in Christ we have the gift of everlasting life. And so from the word of God, we must, elders must be pointing people, not to themselves, not preaching themselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord and themselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. And so we must also pray as a church that in God's good timing, we know that Jesus, as he looked upon people, as he saw them as sheep having no shepherd, he said, pray the Lord of the harvest 
The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord the harvest that he might thrust out laborers into his harvest. Which the first application of that is that there will be more shepherds, more pastors, more elders in Christ's church. That we would pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. And it would be good for us to pray more consistently in our prayer meetings, our personal time of prayer, family worship. There's churches all over America that don't have elders. Or if they do, maybe just one elder. And it would be good for us to pray that churches would... There would be raised up men from their midst or from outside. They would find men that would faithfully shepherd their flock, Christ's flock. And so we pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up laborers, that churches would have shepherds in them, shepherds after God's own hearts. And for our own church, praying that God in his good timing would raise up elders here. Next Lord's Day, God willing, I will be preaching on at least some, if not all, of the qualifications given in Titus chapter 1, as we think about what does a man, what a man must be to qualify to be an elder. But suffice it to say now, it's important that we know how important it is that there are good and godly men in the eldership. It's so important for the well-being and prosperity of the church that there will be men who, by God's grace, are a gift from Christ for the good, to feed God's people with knowledge and understanding and to watch out for their souls as the elders who have to give an account and that God's people, to bring an application to you as well, God's people, God's desire for you, as we saw in Hebrews 13, is to obey and to submit to your elders that they might, that elders might serve you with joy and not with grief because not only would that be unprofitable for them, it would be unprofitable for you. God's will for you is to hear the teaching of the elders, to listen to it, to learn from it, to be, yes, to search the scriptures, but to be one who desires to hear and heed the counsel of elders. So whether you're here or at another church, it's God's will for you, if you're a member, to hear and heed the elders because they are given the task of watching out for your soul. And so may God help us to know the importance of elders and to pray that God would even in our own midst raise up other men who would be elders in this congregation. Amen. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we just thank you for giving elders to your church, and we pray that you would help us to be thankful for the blessing and gift that you give, and we pray that we be faithful in acknowledging your gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.